Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 81. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. I, I don't know how to begin this podcast. This is probably the lowest point emotionally the Leafs have had, not including right after they got eliminated. I'm going to say since Mike Babcock was hired. Like, yeah. it feels like awful right now. The team turned in one of its worst performances in the last few years last night. It was awful. Just yeah, awful. It, there's, there's no... There's no justification for it. It's the type of loss that gets people fired. And I don't expect that to happen imminently, but it's possible this podcast is out of date by the time we um, post this. We're recording Sunday morning. There's been no news about Mike Babcock. Um, certainly, if you know if this was a Twitch Plays GM type of thing, Mike Babcock would have been fired a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that changes, but... As of right now, he, he is still the coach, and there's been no no news after a truly embarrassing 6-1 loss to the Penguins. So with this podcast, we're 21 games into the season. Um, we like to do kind of quarterly grades, and it's not going to be pretty. This <laughs> <laughs> this could get a little ugly, guys, so you've been warned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, if, and I actually mean this like on a... On a somewhat genuine note like if you know we're all kind of obsessive about the Leafs that's why we we have a podcast on them that's why you listen to a podcast about them um but if you genuinely feel that like they are not helping you know your enjoyment of life then you know take a step back seriously because uh, it is just sports and it should just be a distraction even in the worst of times uh, when when the team is doing crappy yeah that's uh psychologically healthy but we are committed nonetheless to doing this. So we're going to roll. We have a letter grade system. A is exceeds expectations. B is meets expectations. C is fall short of expectations. D is really, really bad. F is, um, well, you'll see. And so we tinker with those letter grades with little pluses and minuses, which is a totally subjective process. Uh, Arvid and I did our own grade separately. We agree on some things we disagree on others to some extent so yeah we'll just walk through the lineup top to bottom and we'll finish on maybe the topic of the moment mike babcock yes so actually before we start with the players it might be useful to provide a bit of just kind of level setting uh, Mm. with where the leafs are so the leafs currently are 25th in the league in points percentage that is um not good obviously (laughs) Um, it's really they, bad, um, actually. Yeah, it's, it's awful. <laughs> they are sixth in the league in Corsi 4 percentage. These are all score-adjusted numbers via Evolving Hockey. So sixth in the league in Corsi 4 percentage, which is, I mean, quite impressive, actually. That's probably the highest the Leafs have been in Corsi 4 percentage in the Babcock era. Unfortunately, they are 28th in the league in expected goals percentage, and that's a it's a huge differential, right? So the Leafs get about 52.5% of the shot attempt, but only 47% of the expected goals. Uh, that's a large gap. One of the largest in the league, I think the only one that compares, are, are the San Jose Sharks, who have about 51% of the shot attempts and 45% of the expected goals. And things are not going great there either. So not exactly in a great company. If we break it down a little bit further, by shot attempts, the Leafs have the second best offense in the league, 
just above 61 uh, shot attempts per hour at five on five. Um, and their defense is, let me just check right now. Their defense is 22nd in the league. So basically, if you look at shot attempts, the Leafs are the same team they've been for the past few years. Crazy high shot attempts for um, and bad defense, but good enough offense to outweigh it. Now, the problem is when you incorporate shot quality into it. So if we look at five on five expected goals for the Leafs are 24th in the league at 2.22 expected goals per 60 minutes. Um, for context, league average is about 2.35. So, you know, it, it's a pretty small clump, but certainly the Leafs are not good offensively by, by expected goals uh, per 60. And by expected goals against per 60, we are 27th in the league, surrendering 2.55. Uh, expected goals against per 60 minutes of 5v5 play so by expected goals we're just a bad team yeah uh this is the profile of a team that takes a lot of shots but a lot of them aren't that great and that gives up a fair number of shots and worse several of the shots they give up are 10 bell scoring chances i cannot see that say that any of that is inconsistent with my eye test lately yes and I mean, I mentioned the ranks of, of, of where the Leafs are with respect to the league. Don't get hung up on the ranks. The distribution is more important. And the, the most important part is that the Leafs are below average in expected goals in both offense and defense. And, you know, fairly solidly below average at that. It, you know, as I said, there is a fairly small um, kind of clump of teams. But the Leafs are in... The Leafs are nowhere near where they should be, which is among the best offensive teams, among the elite offensive teams, right? Where so they've that, been for yeah. the last couple of years. Exactly. I think, yeah, you know, Armin and I have maintained, I don't know if it's all the way to full-on optimism, but we've maintained a certain amount of confidence saying, okay, we still have this very good, very dangerous offense. And the fact that that has evaporated is really what has worried me the most during this year, in addition to, of course, just losing a bunch of games in a row now, which is yes. not great. And, so. like, league offense has declined somewhat. Um, mm -hmm. Katya's pointed this out, which which makes, you know, you just can't compare year over year. Um, mm -hmm. But even if you compare, like, the, where the Leafs are in the distribution, the Leafs were third in expected goals per 64 last year. And they were, you know, firmly in that tier of elite uh, offensive teams where they were fairly far away from the average uh offensive team this year they're in that clump and towards the bottom end of that big clump that you would see in the middle if you plotted out like a histogram of teams uh offensive or expected goal rates so it, it really has has not been good it, it, it's it's been very 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 poor uh in that regard and this is it, it's interesting because you know very often or at least typically we don't actually see huge divergences between Corsi and expected goals you know, one of the criticisms of Corsi is that, oh, teams will game their Corsi by shooting a lot of point shots. And the thing is that that was never really borne out by a lot of teams because most teams are optimizing with trying to get goals. So they are trying to get in close. They're not trying to optimize their Corsi. But at least look like a team that's trying to optimize their Corsi at this point. Like, they're just, there's, there's so few quality shots. And the thing is, the defense is still not good. Generously put. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's that's a polite way of um of putting it so yeah it's it's been a problem and i guess this kind of all goes we can discuss all, discuss all this stuff when we talk about coaching towards the end but 
it's not been successful by any means. So with that kind of level setting aside, and so now you kind of have a benchmark of where the Leafs are, and that benchmark is bad, um, let's, let's <laughs> talk about the players. So we'll start with the first line. Um, so left to right, we can kind of talk about all of them at once because this line has been kind of quite consistent. Uh, Andreas Janssen, Austin Matthews, and William Nylander. I gave Janssen a B and Matthews and Nylander A-. minuses. I gave Janssen a B and I gave Matthews and Nylander A's. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been the bright spot pretty yeah. well exclusively for long stretches here. They've had favorable usage. Like, they're starting a lot of their shifts in the offensive zone. That is an overrated sort of thing. You know, you don't want to get too carried away with it, but it is a lot more. But they're doing everything that you would want with their usage. They're producing. They're putting up really great shot differentials. They're still good by expected goals. Not as good as I would like them to be, but, like, they look like a real bonafide first line any way you slice it. And William Nylander, I think, has been reinvigorated. And it's worked with Matthews. That's been the most encouraging thing. Yeah. That Do I've you have seen. the numbers uh, with you out of curiosity? Uh, for expected goals for them as individuals? Uh, yeah, like the, the shot rates with them on the ice. I can pull that up real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I actually closed the tab. But they are doing well. And it's been... I would say pretty encouraging. The only line that really looks like I would have expected them to look, Austin Matthews is on pace for some preposterous number of goals in this year, which will be some consolation when we finish in the draft lottery. (laughs) Yeah, so I I just pulled it up now. Um, Matthews has a 56% Corsi and 53.5% expected goals rate. And that, um, I mean, not to make an excuse for him um, because he did play this game, but that was higher before these last two games. I actually thought they played pretty well against Boston, that line in particular. Um, I thought Matthews was good. They had some kind of unlucky, um, high-quality chances against, in my opinion, but like their overall play I thought was was good. Uh, and their course, he was quite strong. And then, like everyone else in Pittsburgh, they were absolute trash. Um, similarly, Nylander has, yeah, basically the same numbers, 56% expected goals, 53%. Sorry, sorry, 56% Corsi, 53% expect, uh, expected goals. So that, that line has been good, notwithstanding the last two games, and I, I would expect them to kind of, you know, I, I'd expect going forward that we'd get similar results and maybe slightly better because the last two games were, were really bad from the expected goals perspective. But, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they've done what we needed them to do at, at five on five, and it's really been everyone else who has fallen a bit behind. So... I mean, I don't think we'd have much to say about that line. We've, we've kind of consistently sung their praises this year. They've been, they've been good. They've been what we needed them to be. Yeah. Uh, if you're trying to find a bright spot on the Leafs, definitely linger on Austin Matthews and William Nylander. And, I, you know, I think Janssen has done his job. I don't think that he's... Yeah, I mean, Janssen's always in a tough spot because he's, like, mm-hmm. clearly the, thir- the third best player on that line, so he's never going to look as impressive as the other two. Mm-hmm. But, you know that line is working well and he's fulfilling a role there. And I think that's all you can really ask of him. Um, yeah. And just to add a bit more context to this, or uh, I guess more point in their favor, Matthews is fifth in the league in five V five points. William Nylander is 23rd. So, I mean, that's two elite five V five scorers right there. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get too upset with uh, how they've, how they performed. Yeah. 
and so. and the shot numbers suggest that it's you know mostly sustainable they they should outscore their competition especially since they they do have an elite shooter in Austin Matthews who who can sustain high on ice shooting percentages and high personal shooting percentages yeah this actually and this is the state the team is in where like even the most favorable things have a bit of a a sting in the tail but Matthews and Nylander have been so good together that I don't think Mike Babcock or his successor can really contemplate moving Nylander to third line center while Alex Kerfoot is out. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's the only thing that's clearly working quite well. You kind of have to keep them together no matter what. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, so. there's there's no way you can drop them, right? It, it, yeah. We've turned into an embarrassing version of the Oilers in, in a sense that we're sadly very one-line team right now. Yeah. So, um, about that second line. Yeah. <laughs> so, Zach Hyman, I had as an incomplete. Because I did as well. Yeah, he's only recently returned from injury. My eye test likes him. Uh, the numbers haven't really been there, but... I mean, it's three games. Yeah, it's three games. Uh, John Tavares, I gave him a C. I gave him a C+. Plus. Look, um, geez, I love John Tavares. I think he's great. He was playing with an injury. He's got a lot of pressure on him. He has a new baby at home. I can certainly understand that's going to disrupt your lifestyle in a very major way. Um, it hasn't been good enough. That line has not been sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, Mitch Marner is missing, obviously. BT dubs. I gave him a B minus. I gave him, I believe, a C. Mm. So we got a bit of a discrepancy there. It's yeah. I mean yeah. It, it, I mean, it just hasn't been good enough from, from him in my He's a 44% expected goals percentage. 44%. Yeah. And, uh, and the offense has I mean, they're getting cratered cold. when he's been on the ice in terms of shot quality, right? At least in terms or in terms of have, getting driving expected goals. So, you know, if, if your job as, as Mitch Marner on that line is to be a playmaker, or to be a passer, like I want you the team to have elite offensive results when you're on the ice, right? Mm-hmm. And I gave Tavares a C, so I, I or C plus, so I mean I think Tavares has been slightly better, but you know not by a huge amount or anything like that. It hasn't really been particularly good for from either of them relative to the expectations. Tavares has a bit more leeway, I guess, because he has a decade of being an elite NHL player, and Marner has Marner does not have that. And I guess maybe there's some, maybe I'm judging Marner harsher because of the protracted contract dispute and the fact that he's getting overpaid mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I, for both of them it has not been good enough right the the results yeah. have not been there and the leafs you know we talk a lot about how the theory of how teams succeed like what what is the design for them to outperform their competition and for us it's the top line does you know beats up their competition and the Tavares line does the same thing we have two first lines and we beat you with our star players that's why we're paying them a crap ton of money and Matthews's line has mostly held up their end of the bargain and Tavares's line simply has not now again like the Leafs as a whole there is a gigantic gap between Tavares's and his line's shot results and their expected goal results and it's unclear to me why that gap is occurring both on a broader team level and for Tavares in particular, because Tavares makes his living around the net. And historically, Marner has um, always been on lines that get a lot of net front shots. So I am i don't know why that is. And it's 
again, we'll talk about this when we get to the coaching. I don't think the answer is as simple as, well, Babcock is stifling them somehow. It, that's not a satisfying answer to me because it doesn't address the why and it doesn't address the how. This um, is the recurring thread that's going to run through a lot of our analysis is this team had a defined strength and it's broken. And at that point, we're saying, okay, is this temporary? Is this something that will work itself out? Do we expect the expected goals, the chances to move in the direction of the shots? Because that's sort of what should happen. Or do we think that something is fundamentally wrong with this team? And as the sample goes longer and longer where this is still happening, you start to think, okay, something is wrong here. Something is busted. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're 20... We're 20-something yeah, games in. Yeah, that's right? not like, nothing. Exactly. You know? This is the point where a lot of models say, yeah, this is where your your past results are most predictive of the results from the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, this is who we are. Yeah. Like, this, something is wrong here. I think it's it's fair to say. And it's still very surprising to me. I think that line has missed Zach Hyman. I still earnestly believe that. Yeah, I, think I, I do he, as well. You know, he's a high energy player. He's a guy who's going to help push the pace a little bit. He's going to get to the dangerous areas, but he can't be the whole answer. And Tavares and Marner are frankly both too good and too well paid for this to be happening to them. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, it, it's such a consistent pattern across the Leafs that it's something that does make you think, okay, there has to be something systemically. It's, it's like when Randy Carlisle coaches a team. Right, and like everyone's number sewer. It's like, well, everyone's number sewer. I don't think everyone forgot how to play hockey. It's the yeah. same thing here. You feel that, you know, if everyone's expected goals are worse than their shot attempts, there has to be something going on on the team wide level that's causing that to happen. I don't know what it is specifically, but yeah, someone has to has to wear that. And I think you know we have to put blame on the players for that too. But certainly, I'm, I'm not at all saying that. The coaching staff gets off scot-free and we'll we'll talk about that later but it, it's clearly not working out from their end either there, there's clearly something going on that is kind of diminishing what the leafs have yeah what the leafs were the, the ceiling is kind of lowering on us the, the only thing that i'll say in defense of mitch marner and i think it was drag like pull who said this in a tweet a while back but it was marner still looks like he's playing really well at every situation but five on five and Unfortunately, 5-on-5 five five is kind of the important one. But he's still been decently productive on the power play, even when pretty much the whole rest of the team was struggling. He's had some great moments 3-on-3. Three three. You know, like, there's still a lot there. Seems to benefit from uh, having that extra space. But also, he's still point a game. And I know that that's a little reductive just to say, well, okay, points. But when a guy is still getting some kind of offense and he's still getting a certain amount of Corsi, I instinctively am struggling to push down his mark that far. And then I think, okay, but the whole problem with this team now is that a bunch of people have good Corsi and it's not doing shit for us because it's empty Corsi. You know, like it's it yeah. feels like there's a certain amount of empty calories going on because the shots against are very dangerous well, and the and, shots and, for are not. And it feels like... So I am wrestling with that. I can certainly see why you would put him lower. Yeah. It's been it, a disappointing start for Marner, for sure. It really has. It, it feels like, as a team, they they get the puck into the offensive zone, they, and they clearly do that fine, because, you know, 
shot attempts were originally kind of a proxy for meaningful possession, getting the puck into act into areas where it is the best idea to shoot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which means, you know, by definition, you're you're getting them into areas where you feel at least you have chances to score. But it, it really feels like the Leafs, once they shoot, are not retrieving any pucks thereafter. It, it feels like it's one and done. And then the other team just comes up, and the Leafs' defense, you know, people have talked about how Babcock has tried to make the Leafs more defensively sound and like his sacrificing maybe some speed and some rush offense for doing so well the defense is back to where it was last year mm-hmm. right and certainly when you look at its rank and relative to the rest of the league and where it stands on the distribution of you know even shot attempts against or expected goals against it it's, it's certainly not good right yeah. it may, may not might not be the very worst in the league but it's not far away from that either so yeah it's the whole thing is is just odd and it makes me wonder, and it was something we discussed before, where I wonder if the sequences that led to Leafs' offense last year are just not happening for whatever reason this year. What seems to me like it's going on is that the safety play that the Leafs had, and they had this last year too, is if you get into trouble and you can't figure out where to go in the offensive zone, go back to the point and let our defensemen kind of regroup at the blue line and then work the puck back in. It feels to me like a lot of those plays now go back to the point, and then there is a point shot that generates nothing. It misses the net, or we don't recover the possession, or we're not there to jump on a rebound, and basically nothing comes of it. This is pure eye test, and so immense grains of salt have to be had here. But my effort to try and say, okay, what am I seeing that's going on here, really feels like we're defaulting to point shots, and worse, they're point shots plus nothing. They're point shots that don't lead to secondary chances, which are high danger, to the way that we would expect. And yeah, I don't know if that's we're not penetrating to the slot to begin with, we're not in position to get those things, or you know, some of that is the difference that comes with having another shot-heavy defenseman in the top four. And by the way, um, we'll talk about Jake Muzzin and... He's been one of the few good defensemen, but he shoots a lot. And so does Tyson Berry, and so does Morgan Riley. Only Cody Cece doesn't. And I don't know how I feel about that, frankly. So, I, yeah. like, I am conscious that we have a lot of guys in our top four who are firing away. Yeah, and it, it feels like, at least last year, I, again, this is all eye tests, right? We don't have the numbers to back this up right now. It felt like a lot of our offense started from from point shots, but it was like essentially point shots to create scrambles in front. Yeah, basically. And then you know, you, so you get a point shot, and you get um, Tavares and Hyman just like creating absolute havoc in front, right? You'd get Marner on the outside who can cut a team up with his passing off these scrambles. He thrives in those chaotic situations, right? And going back, you know, the year before when we had Matthews and Nylander playing together consistently, it, it was similar with them, right? Mm-hmm. Nylander would help gain the zone. Um, Matthews is just a monster in, in front of the net and finding space, and he can get a shot off so quickly and from so many different angles. It, it's, it feels like that has not been there at all, right? And we're focusing on the offense primarily because that seems more fixable in the sense that we, we've seen these players have elite off- be a part of an elite offense before. And you know, as much as we're both huge fans of Jake Gardner and Nazem Kadri, I don't think losing them has, like, completely stymied the Leafs' offense. Or, or it shouldn't have. Yeah, like, 
They're good players. They're two players. They're not the most important players on the team. And yeah, this feels like it runs much deeper than the loss of those two specific guys. So yeah, not not ideal to say the least. Okay, um, let's move to the third line. So we're including uh, Mikhaev, Mikhaev, sorry, Kerfoot, and Kapitan here. I gave them a B plus, an A minus, and a B, uh, respectively. I could drop Kerfoot down a little bit. I think maybe an A minus is a bit high for him. Yeah, Kerfoot has been good. I think Kerfoot has met third line expectations pretty well, except that some of the malaise that afflicts the whole team still applies to him a little bit. Like, it's not like the third line is actually dominating expected goals-wise or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I think... He- He's been good. I think Mikhaev has been fun, like a rare fun story in the early going. He's cooled off, predictably enough. And, you know, I, th- I think if we're rating him against expectations, we probably have to clarify, are the expectations just a third line left wing, or are they the expectations of we, like, barely remember that we signed this guy, and then he turned out to be Yeah, really I'm good. kind of judging him against that right where yeah i guess it, be- it became clear somewhat soon in preseason it's like okay this guy's actually an nhl player right yeah so, there wasn't a lot of doubt there yes and the, the coaching staff did seem to think that like over the summer they seemed to talk about him as if like yeah this is gonna happen and uh, and it did and you know there's no disappointment there i suspect we should be able to resign him next year if we want to go in that direction and i think that that's a perfectly good thing to be doing um, yeah, I, this third line doesn't feel like the problem to me. They are not getting the majority of the expected goals. They aren't getting the majority of the chances. But I don't know. When I try to pinpoint the malaise that's kind of inflicted this whole team, it doesn't seem to be like them. Kasperi yeah. Kapanen also looks 100 times better on the right wing. Yes, Kapanen has been, I think, genuinely good over the past few weeks, even as the team has faltered. Like, yeah. I, I I, don't have a problem with how he's played. And, I mean, I do think this falls more on the top lines. Well, the, the second line, really. I think, as we covered, the Matthews line has been fine. But I, I blame the second line a lot more than I blame the third line, even though the third line's numbers are not phenomenal. I mean, they're, they're a third line who have been also facing... Um, you know, not tremendously easy competition. So, mm. I, I guess I was perhaps nicer on them. Kerfoot has taken too many penalties. I'm, I don't think that's something that'll persist long term. Um, I think that's just kind of a bit of a variance thing. He hasn't been a high penalty taker throughout his career, I don't believe. So, I yeah, yeah I mean, you know what? I've liked him. I like I've yeah, liked a lot no, about his game. And the only thing good, that, you, think. that you can say about him is I don't think he shoots enough. Um. But by and large, yeah, he's been good. And also, like, the Kadri trade, which um, I guess we'll end up talking about this a little more with Tyson Berry, but, like, a lot of people want to call that trade a complete disaster. And I won't lie, it's not as much fun as it was at the time, and we were both pretty guarded, even at the time. But I think Alexander Kerfoot still makes me feel okay about that one. I don't think, you know, he's obviously not as good as Kadri, as we've said, but he's... A worthwhile acquisition and I'm not unhappy to have him locked up for the next few years so yeah that's some consolation yeah all right so moving on to the fourth line we have Shore, Gauthier, Timashov we're not going to grade Spetsa and Patan 
I mean, Spezza, I mean, we, maybe we can grade. He has played, like, a decent amount of games, but I, I would basically just give him, like, a B- minus or C+. Plus. He's, he's, mm-hmm. Spezza's been fine. His, his numbers are actually quite solid. Um, he's had some notable brain farts, and I, I'm my understanding, and I haven't looked into this that deeply, but my understanding is that he's used in a very different way than the rest of the Leafs' friend players. He has a, a kind of softer usage, so I'm not going to, you know, send him to an A-plus or having a good Corsi or good expected goals. But the, the standard fourth line has been Shore, Gauthier, Timishov. Um, oh, we should include Trevor Moore as well because yes, he's played a lot of uh, time on the third line. Yeah. What would you give Moore? I actually forgot to include him in my grades. I'd give Moore a B, but it's very gonna, hard. Yeah, I was gonna go a bit lower. I was gonna say I was gonna say like C plus, maybe even yeah. C. I was gonna say you have to decide what scale you're rating more yes. on, and it's probably harder than other players because one, he's moved around a lot due to injuries. I think he's a elite fourth liner if you can have such a thing. I think he's a really good fun guy to have on your fourth line. I think in a pinch, he can be a third liner. I think if he's on your second line, it's a sign that you have hit a bit of a rough patch. Uh, him being with John Tavares in Zach Hyman's spot, I don't think really worked all that well. He did his best, and I feel a bit, you know, it feels a bit unfair to mark him down for not being a second line left wing, because, like, of course he's not. But, um, you know, I, I think that definitely you have to decide what you're grading him against. So in terms of being Trevor Moore, I, I think that he's basically done exactly what you would expect him to do. He's been played a little too high, partly on necessity. Yeah, he's been a competent NHL player, but nothing more really. And like, I think he's been a very replaceable player, right? Like, I think he, he's, I think he's essentially been, you know, maybe a re- replacement level or slightly above. I, I'd have him slightly above, uh, but yeah, he's not, you know. He is what he is. He's a great story. He's exciting. He brings energy. He's the kind of guy I want on my fourth line. That's about it. Yeah. And that that's fine. I think you can play him on the third line in a pinch, and that's okay, which is which is good. If he's higher than that, something's wrong. Uh, it is worth noting the the thing about Spezza, and uh, I, again, I'm worried that I talk about uh, offensive zone starts as much as I do because I want to emphasize they only matter so much. But Spetz's offensive zone start percentage is 62, and Gauthier, Timoshoff, and Shore are around 4%. So, like, he's used in a totally different manner. Yeah, he, I mean, with the Tavares injury, he he was brought up essentially into the, a third-line role, and it was like an offensive third-line role. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that group did fine enough, I, I suppose, but nothing spectacular, I don't think. Spezza looks to me Given like it's all gone except the playmaking ability. Yeah. And, like, he's still got some of that, and he used to be so so good at it. But yeah, he's, like, still, he's he, still got the brains and the hands. It's just the, the feet can't keep up. That's basically the size of it. Like, the rest of it is kind of gone. And yeah. he's so, by far the oldest guy on the team. And that's just kind of how it goes. But, yeah, it's, it's a bit glaring. So, with the fourth line... I don't know how to judge a fourth line that is used this extremely. They, like, they're used for almost exclusively defensive zone shifts. And yeah. I don't know how I feel about this as a strategy. I kind of, I'm kind of over it. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's a bit of the proof is in the pudding to some extent. It's like, okay, the team is getting kind of 
their faces kicked in as a whole. I don't, <laughs> the weird extreme strategy that we're pursuing maybe is not helping in this regard. I don't know. They're getting crushed, uh, yeah, including in which is kind of unique to them, like most of the rest of the team is not, as we've discussed. To some extent, you would expect them to. It doesn't get their results to good if you make allowances for it. But on the, on the other hand, they're a fourth line. Uh, they're not supposed to really be better than the competition because, again, the, the worst line on the team. I think that they seem to me like they've done their best with the usage that they've had. And I confess that I'm not 100% sure how to rate for that usage appropriately. So I settled for C- minuses across the board. I think I did them. the same, but I mean, I'm more negative on, on this strategy. So I, I, I get the idea where mm -hmm. it's, you're essentially saying, you know, in the defensive zone, these guys are going to be, you know, not much worse than, say, Austin Matthews, and then you can use Austin Matthews in a more advantageous situation for him, where he can use his offensive gifts. And it's like, I get that, but it feels like there's been too many times where that fourth line has been matched up against a high-end line from the opposition, and they just get hemmed in for a minute and a half, and then when they change, all they can do is dump it out, so then you've just reset to neutral. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's like, I don't think Matthews and Nylander are good in their defensive zone, but if I get if you get the puck on Nylander's stick in the defensive zone, cool, you're out of the zone now, mm -hmm. right? Like that, that's that's the advantage of having him. Same same with Matthews. Like they're just they're better at breaking the puck out because they have puck skills, and this group has just not worked. In a game where everything went wrong, I'm not going to blame this on the fourth line, but the first um, the first uh, Pittsburgh power play last night happened because uh, off a defensive zone draw, the Leafs put out their fourth line. Penguins responded with Malkin. They spent 35 <laughs> seconds in the go? offensive zone and drew a penalty. <laughs> yeah. And then scored on the ensuing power play. Now, again, this is a total collapse from the team as a whole. It's unfair mm -hmm. to put the blame on the, on the fourth line, but that's emblematic of what happens. And I, I get the theory behind it, but it, it, it has not really worked they're just not good enough defensively like, it's one thing if they're if they're sean corrali who i think is a legitimate very good defensive fourth liner who can play against these higher end um people and actually reduce shots against and get the puck out and doesn't really provide a ton of offense or individual offense in of himself but you know he's able to move the play in the right direction and legitimately you know can counter those high-end lines the Goatee line is just not doing that. They're they're just kind of existing and getting their ass kicked, and then eventually they'll get the puck and dump it out. Yeah. So you're 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 saving that shift, that would have been a defensive zone shift for Matthews, but maybe that shift for Matthews or for Tavares is only a fifteen to twenty second shift in their own zone, as opposed to a thirty five second shift in their own zone with five more shots against. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't think you can really argue it's going that well the only thing to be said in this defense is that it you know the Matthews line is succeeding but that's not really enough the Matthews line should be succeeding regardless and we shouldn't have to trade total abject failure for it so I was willing to wait and see but increasingly it's like okay this doesn't seem to be working all that well yeah and I mean you can say the Matthews line is be being helped with their usage um, which is coming in part because they don't have to take any of these tougher um, minutes. But 
I mean, I think they would do okay if their minutes were slightly tougher. As we've covered, zone usage doesn't typically make that huge a difference, except when it's this extreme. And when you're playing a line in kind of a role where I don't really think they're particularly well well suited for it because they're not that great defensively anyways right and it, it's not it's also not like a zero one thing where you ha- if you um if you don't play the fourth line in this way you have to put the matthews line there you, you could use the other lines as well mm-hmm. right you like you can you can spread this burden out over more groups of forwards and then you know hopefully they're all they're i think they're all better and more equipped for that than this current line of Gautier Shore and Timoshov, who I don't think have been very good at all. And, and they're, they've been put in a very tough situation, but the numbers are really, really horrendous. And again, the team is like, what, 26th in expected goals rate? Like, you could argue, oh, you know, if they didn't have, if they weren't doing this, maybe they'd be even worse. Maybe this is actually helping them somehow, but there's not that much room to get lower. Mm-hmm. The, like, the bottom line is that this team as a whole, as constructed, is not working. And so everything has to be open to question in terms of how it's constructed. Except breaking up Matthews and Nylander, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like, that's almost the only thing that I'm sure of is still going correctly at this point. And so, you do have to ask questions here. I almost wonder if there was a conclusion at some point that we can't do a lot with Goche anyway. So Or his line. And, like, let's just kind of take our lumps there and this is just how it is when we have this fourth line i think goche has shown some improvement in his skill set like i actually don't think that this is necessarily true but i do wonder if there was some sort of concession okay we're achieving basically nothing with our fourth lines anyway because they're not that strong offensively so maybe this is just some sort of innovation but i I do agree the bottom line is this doesn't seem to be paying out yeah, and the scale of like their defensive zone, or, or I guess kind of face-off starts versus on-the-fly starts, it, it's notable for the fourth line, whereas it's not as, as... The offensive zone starts for Matthews as a proportion of their total minutes. It's not as big as it is for, for Gauthier and his defensive zone starts, which is why you know you can hold the seemingly contradictory views that Matthews would be fine if he... And his line would be more or less fine if they got slightly less favorable offensive zone usage. And also, Gauthier's zone usage is absolutely kind of murdering him and is not doing well for the Leafs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not ideal. Um, that was a lot of negativity. So in order to be more positive, let's talk about the Leafs' defense. <laughs> oh, this is going to get gruesome. Morgan Riley. Uh, D. Look. I gave him a C-, minus, but... That's kind. You know what it probably is. I consider giving him an F. Morgan Riley does not look like himself. I don't know if he's playing hurt or what it is. He looks like the worst version of himself. He, yeah, you know what? That's a better description of it. He's never been good defensively. Ever. He's not good defensively now. And we've said forever, well, he's only ever had iffy partners. Yeah, but I think he's a bad defensive defenseman. Like, he's not good at that at all. And his offensive skill set hasn't had as much play as we would like. The power play has been struggling. That's something that he's normally quite good at. He's looked awful at times. Like, as bad as I can remember him looking in a few years. And 
it's kind of tough to see. He's playing a lot of minutes. It's not going well. He's playing with Cody Cece, and I am so inclined instinctively to give Cece a lot of the blame for this stuff. But when I watch, I'm like, I don't think you can do that fairly. There is a problem with Morgan Riley right now. Now, some people go to the extreme and they say, well, okay, we should have been chopping him off a 70-point season. Okay, I don't know that this defense group can afford to lose I mean, anybody. I, this but... is something I, I played around with where it's like, mm-hmm. I don't think it would... I think it's correct to say that Morgan, value, Morgan Riley's value was never higher than last season's. And I think any person who knows anything about hockey stats could have said, yeah, that's probably not going to happen again. He's not going to score what nearly 20 goals he doubled up his expected goals basically right and he's never been known as someone with a great shot that wasn't going to happen again and riley's exactly the type of player who you could argue gets um overpaid and overvalued as an elite point scorer who historically also has you know elite offensive play driving too i don't want to undersell him here but he's really really poor defensively and as a result the net benefit to the team when he's on the ice that that's always been a little questionable when you look at the advanced stats models like threat and RIPM and things like that. At the same time, um, it would be completely untenable for the Leafs to trade him, even just from an off-ice perspective. Mm-hmm. He's too right? important. Yeah. Like, you, you, you got in bed with him already. Yeah. Right? He's and your guy. Yeah. Um, you, you kind of, you can't trade him without that looking really, really terrible, especially when defense is not exactly the Leafs' strong suit as is. And I'm not saying this is a defense of like, you know, you, you shouldn't make your your hockey decisions based on, like, PR. But that stuff does play an impact, and it makes it kind of difficult to justify in this case. I do think that Morgan Riley's contract in two years is going to age like milk. And yes. I'm, I'm going to call that now. I think there's an excellent chance you're correct. Morgan Riley, at his best, has these extraordinary physical gifts. And they, frankly, allow him to bail himself out of trouble sometimes. Right now, those seem to be a little bit mitigated, whether it's due to a lingering injury or just the whole team is infected with suckitis. I don't know. But this is what Morgan Riley looks like when he's not able to kind of save himself. And it's bad. It's been really heartbreaking to see, frankly. I don't, like, he's too young and too good for me to think this is likely to be permanent. But I might almost say, like, if you managed to fix Morgan Riley, you might have gone a long way to fixing the Leafs because I think that the Leafs were previously built in his image, almost. Like, dynamite offense, lousy defense, net positive. And now that they are, eh, offense, bad defense, net bad he's kind of gone with the tide on that one. Yeah, and... So if you want to figure out what's going wrong, I think the answer to what's wrong with Morgan Riley and what's wrong with the Toronto Maple Leafs may have a lot of crossover. Yeah, and, uh, like, part of this is, again, as is often the case, it's probably a bit of bad luck. Like, so Riley's underwater in expected goals percentage, but only barely. He's at 49%, which sadly makes him, you know, quite good relative to the rest of the team. Um, (laughs) But his on-ice save percentage is, like, uh, 90%, quite low. His mm. PDO is 980, quite low. He looks worse because everything... Um, because like he's getting a bit unlucky in addition to being not very good. 
but he's also i think it's like he's just getting walked sometimes and like these are horrifically embarrassing ways and it's like man you just can't let that happen sometimes the Leafs seem, and someone's remarked on this besides me, I'm, I'm spacing on who, but the Leafs seem very chasey defensively, like it's a very active defense. And at its worst, it feels like that dog from Up that keeps seeing squirrels. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, puck carrier, woo! And they get drawn way out of position. And then someone like, I don't know, Brad Marchand, the big name, just kind of cruises through the back door and winds up unbelievably open. And that seems to happen a lot to me. And it seems to happen a lot to Morgan Riley specifically. He's not the only one. But that's the kind of thing I see and I think, wow, how did I kid myself that this guy was a number one defenseman? Yeah. And then CC, again, we're grading with respect to expectation. So I, I, I guess C or C plus for me. For me. Uh, he's been... I guess I'm kind of baking in his usage here where he's being used in a position that I would not use him in. Um, mm-hmm. Funnily enough, he has the best on-ice numbers of any Leafs defenseman. It's not even that close. <laughs> this is so fucking Cause, stupid. Because this is the hellscape that we live in nowadays. Um, and my understanding is that part of that is he, he, he gets shifts away from Riley, and those shifts away from Riley are typically pretty solid. Um, mm. I feel like I might be big mistaking CC to death here, but like he, he looks like a terrible player. But he you know, I, I think giving him, I'll settle on like a C plus and say he's been kind of below the expectations of what you would want in that role. And I don't think we should use him there. But, you know, it's more concerning that Riley has been this bad than CeCe has been this bad. Yeah, like my expectations for CeCe were very, low. very modest. So, you know, Kyle Dubas actually said the other day, it's like, look, you know, on net, his numbers are pretty good. He kind of does okay and i'm like yeah i guess he's you're you he's know. not wrong dubis he's not like, no it's just not. it's very uninspiring cc also has a habit of making like he makes errors that make him look like a you know beer league defenseman really iffy decision making under pressure like that's how it looks to me is like every now and then he'll get in some tight situation and he will implode and uh, that has a way of staying with you. I think that that was also kind of what happened with Jake Gardner sometimes. Was like that he would get, you know, well, big mistake, as you said. But man, with Cody CC, it's like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, you have to rate him against the role. And as like a first pair right defenseman, obviously he's in over his head. As a version of Cody CC, who was like a punchline for the longest time, he's been better than that. So, you know, take from that what you will. I think to have Cody CC playing prominently on your top pairing, like, that's not something that a really good team does unless they're dominating in other areas, which is something that I thought we could do but had not done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's um, kind of how that adds up. All right, Muzzinberry. So I think in my original grade, I gave Muzzin an A-, and that, that's too high, thinking mm-hmm. about it more. Uh, I would downgrade that to a B. And Barry, I gave a D. I had them at a B and a C minus. I, like you, I wanted to give Muzzin a very high grade. He conspicuously seems to be the only defenseman who knows how to play defense. Sometimes, like, it's kind of glaring. But at the same time, it's like, well, he's part of that pairing with Tyson Barry that is 
emblematic of all the problems we're having. They have good shot results. Their expected goals results are bad. And he shoots a lot. It's not only Tyson Berry that does, you know, the point shot thing. Yeah, Muzzin, sh- a Muzzin a shoots himself. a ton. Muzzin shoots he does. a bunch. And, and, you know, that's not nothing because they're often low percentage shots. And so, you know, I, I think, frankly, the degree to which we're allowing a big divergence in how we rate them is a reflection of our eye tests. Like, we're just saying, like, look, it doesn't look to us like Muzzin is mostly the party at fault here. Yeah, I mean, he's he's certainly better defensively than Barry. Barry's god-awful with that. And people have, I think, blamed Babcock way too much for Barry. And we will get to Babcock, and I have tons of complaints this year. How he has used Tyson Barry is not one of them. So just to, I guess, tie mm. a quick bow on the Muzzin and Barry shooting... Muzzin takes about 19% of the shot of the team's shots when he's on the ice. So slightly less than average if you just divided it by five, right? Which you would hope your defenseman t- would be. Barry takes about 25% of the team's shots. That is not ideal. Why is Barry taking those shots? No. Right? I, I don't want that. Um, I actually can't remember a significant acquisition that has disappointed me more in the last couple of years than Tyson Barry. And I was guarded on him to begin with. But we've gotten all of the bad and not much of the good. And maybe mm-hmm. that should have been expected. You know, we were going to use Morgan Rally on the first power play unit. So right there, he was going to have a drop in points, even in the best case scenario. But he has brought nothing. Yeah, he's brought nothing to the table. And concerned. historically, Barry has been, he's, he's been a good 5v5 point scorer too. It's not, he's not a power play merchant. Yeah. Um, the thing is, so Barry is essentially his shot rate is the same he is not getting good shots though even to the degree that he normally would as a defenseman defenseman shots are almost always not as good as forward shots but barry had good shot locations for a defenseman and good shot um efficiency for a defenseman this year he's taking all those same shots they're just from further back and people are saying oh you know babcock's telling him to to play back and it's like i have complaints with babcock do you think he's a fucking dumbass a lot of people do. But, like... Like, they genuinely think that he's a very dumb man, which I... You know, he's not. No, he has um, many flaws, but he is not a moron, right? Like he, I, I just do not believe that he is looking at Tyson Berry and saying, yep, don't don't jump into the play. This guy coached Morgan yeah, Riley. He's actually said in press conferences, he's like, he needs to be active and pushing and, yeah. like, this playing guy has aggressively. coached Morgan Riley for the past four years, and Riley has been an aggressive defenseman. It's clearly not something that like Babs has a problem with, like as a general rule. He he has empowered Morgan Riley. Why would he not do the same with Barry? I, and I think the reason Barry has been bad is but that Barry has been bad, and he's he's player performance is itself highly variable. And the way Babcock is using Barry at five on five, I have absolutely zero problems with. Absolutely none. Mm-hmm. Right, um, he's getting a lot of minutes. He's getting a lot of minutes. Still, he's playing like, with the Leafs' best defenseman yeah. in Jake Muzzin. He mm-hmm. gets more minutes um, with the Matthews line than you would expect from their respective time on ISIS. So he's putting him with the offensive play drivers. And Barry's mm-hmm. numbers with Matthews have been ass. And I'm I'm not blaming Mike Babcock for that. And I'm not blaming Austin Matthews for that, because Austin Matthews has been kicking ass with every other person on the roster. Like Bear, yeah. at some point like he, Barry just, has he to, hasn't been getting it done. No, he has to own it. And that. frankly, there's yeah, he does. And there's like and, a very vocal uh, contingent of people on on Twitter. I don't know why this is, and maybe it's just what I see of it. But like the there's a very prickly segment of the Avs fan base 
that really resents the whole East Coast or something. And so, so they're like, oh, we, you know, they've broken Tyson Berry or something. I'm like, he's not playing well. Yeah. He's and playing very poorly in a very large opportunity. And that's on you. You're an NHL player. You got to not suck. To, chance, to be clear, so. like, my frustration is not addressed at Barry himself, really. I'm sure he know, he feels he has not played well. He said as much. I'm sure he is working his ass off. Like, I don't have any doubt about that. I'm sure he is not blaming his usage. It, it's more addressed at fans who are like, oh, Babcock ruined Barry. It's like, Babcock has done enough that we can criticize him for that we don't have to make things up. Mm-hmm. He hasn't ruined Barry. Barry has arguably never been that good to begin with. He's never been an offensive play driver. You could argue he's always been a bit of a cannibal offensively, and right now he's not even doing that. So, yeah, th- there's been very little positive to me with Barry. It's been a really, really, really poor result, even for someone who we both had probably lower expectations for than the average fan. Yeah. I, I actually... <laughs> This is just a capstone, but I remember I was actually getting a couple of complaints and people were like, you know, why are you guys so down on Tyson Berry? You know, because they wanted to believe that we just acquired the one RD who was going to get us over the hump. And it turns out we should have been more pessimistic than we were. That's <laughs> yeah, funny. Um, so Travis Dermott. Um, man. I had a minute. I, I had... Go ahead. Okay, yeah, I had him at a C plus. Um, I think I had him at. He came back from injury. I had him at a B minus. Um, so I mean, I guess those grades are adjacent. It's not like he's been amazing either. Let's be real. No, and you know, Travis Dermott historically has been the guy who could dominate third pairing usage. And again, this probably is like a sinking tide lowers all boats, but he hasn't been doing that. You know, they've been fine. They've been an okay third pair, but that's it. Yeah. And he's also had some moments where it was like he was really a no man's land in the defensive zone. Um, I, again, possibly part of the reason why we're still so sort of high on Jake Muzzin is that every other defenseman who I can even say something positive about, I also have to add in the defensive zone they were rough. So <laughs> The entire team, forwards included. I don't like, know. I, Again, yeah, I keep, no I keep, one's actually good at this. I keep teasing our discussion of Babcock towards the end, but like, if we do fire Babcock, and I think there's justifiable reasons to, I don't expect us mm-hmm. to. I don't expect our play in the defensive zone to suddenly get a ton better. I think the players. Yeah, there are things that are going to have to be fixed. Yeah. That aren't fixed just by firing the guy on top. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, um, Hall, I gave a B plus. I think he's been good. Um. You know, hasn't, hasn't, uh, it isn't changing our lives, obviously. But he, Hall can be proud of his year. I'm, I'm happy he's getting a chance. I'm happy he's doing all right with it. Yeah, I gave him a B minus, which is maybe a bit unforgiving. By the standard of press box resident, he's obviously shown no. Actually, I can be a real sixth defenseman, and I think that that would be true on a lot of teams. Like I think he can deliver. That's it. Frankly, you know, I people have talked about moving him up the lineup because the rest of our right side is so dubious anyway. And I've said, yeah, I mean, try things. We're in a position where we probably need to try things. But I don't think I've seen anything from him where I'm like, this is a guy who's more than a third-pairing guy. 
Yeah, well, it, so, it's backup QB you know. syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe he would do well. He's made some good plays that I've seen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, every now and then he'll do something. You know, he'll show that length. Uh, he's quite mobile. But reads yeah, the game he, pretty like well offensively, I think, as well. I think so. Yeah, you know, like I think he's a a capable offensive defenseman as a third pairing guy. Back in the day when you had two defensemen on those power play units and three forwards instead of the now standard four forwards, one defenseman, I think Justin Hall would be getting second power play unit time on most teams. Like he would be the kind of guy that you partially keep around for that purpose. So, yeah. All right, goaltenders. We'll move to the goalies. Yeah. Pretty um, Anderson. B minus. I gave him a C plus. It's just, it's I mean, I, I, he hasn't been amazing uh, when you look at the year on, 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 as a whole, but it's also, he's not the guy I'm blaming, so. Yeah, it's like he has failed to save us from our other problems. Yes. And he's been maybe a little worse, but the other problems are quite evident. It's obviously not just him. Yeah, and then so. Hutchinson, we yeah. both gave our only Fs to him. F. Look, I like him. It's nice. I mm, would benefit of hindsight going into the season with Michael Hutchinson. Turns out to have been a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Leafs thought Mikhail Neuwirth might take the job, and then he turned out to be too injured to do it, it seemed like. You know, uh, it's it's tough. The backup goaltending thing is weird because I think Kyle Dubas has made a lot of defensible decisions that have nonetheless blown up in his face. Like, he went with Sparks over McElhinney. We've talked about that enough. That was defensible, but it didn't work. Now he's gone with Hutchinson and Neuwirth. Neuwirth was too injured. Hutchinson has been awful. I I don't know what to say. I mean, Michael Hutchinson may have ended his NHL career just now, and I like him. He's a nice guy, but, like, his play warranted that. It was very bad. Yes, and this is... So... There's been a lot of discussion about, you know, whether it was unfair what the Leafs did to Hutchinson... And, you know, whether they put him in a position to fail. And I think this is one of those things where it's like two things can be true. Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying the Leafs put him in a position to fail. I think if you're a backup goalie, like, way too much was made of, oh, the Leafs are playing only in front of tired teams. He's a fucking backup goalie. That's your job. Your job is, yeah, your job, it's not to be coddled. Your job is, hey, we, our first guy's tired, the team's tired, go in there and do what you can. That's what a backup goalie does. And for most teams in the, the league... The thing is, pocket, is that if he did put up, like, these heroic showings where it was like, oh, man, you know, they got outshot and it was tough there, but he hung in there and, and did a good job. But, like, he was not good. No. I don't know what to say. Yeah, and like, the so, Leafs played badly in front of him. There is no doubt. They did not put him... They did not give him a ton of help. Also, he was bad. Two things can be true. Yeah. So yeah, like that's yeah. the bottom line. So yeah. All right, cool. Uh, now uh, our favorite part: the coaches. So yeah, let's get down to fucking brass tacks. Yeah. <laughs> D. Oh. C minus. You're. And like. Pinko liberal. <laughs> I come from the uh, the liberal arts, right? We're soft. Don't want to fail anybody. Yeah. Look, Mike Babcock, I think, is a very smart and capable coach. 
I've said repeatedly on here that I thought a lot of the, the criticism on him was silly. I, know, I agree I with that. I think he still gets tagged for a lot of things that are not his fault. The team's performance this year has not been adequate. Mm -hmm. It looks systemic. If it's not systemic, it's something that has at least infected multiple players, and he has a very limited amount of runway to fix it. For the first time since he got hired, I woke up this morning and I thought Mike Babcock might really get fired today. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we, we covered the numbers at the top. They are not good. The Leafs are currently not a good team that is getting unlucky. They are a team that has some serious issues. And mm -hmm. the fact that it's the pattern is so consistent across different players where everyone seems to be getting fine, quite good shot attempt ratios and terrible at actually getting high quality chances i i don't like i said it's unsatisfying to me to say okay well that has to be coaching because the team got worse right i, I like being able to point to something because i i feel if you don't you can easily let narratives get ahead of you but mm -hmm. it's been a consistent kind of pattern of behavior this year where the Leafs have simply not gotten those high-quality chances offensively, and they haven't been any better defensively to compensate. Now, there are some things, so there are some tactical adjustments that we've seen um, from the eye test, and one of them is the Leafs not really going for stretch passes to the same degree. Part of that is we've also lost our best passer from the back end in Jake Gardner. Um, they do seem to be building up play slower. However, that alone should not cause kind of this cataclysmic drop-off in offense. Right? This has to be several things happening at once. Yes, and... Like, it, it just feels like a... I, I also, again, this is not entirely on Babcock, but at the end of the day, the results and the way the team is playing is not particularly good, and he certainly bears responsibility for that. So I do think it's fair to say that without pinpointing everything that he's doing wrong and without saying, oh, he's definitely choking the offense intentionally, I do not believe he is choking the team's offense intentionally. It does fall on him to a degree to improve the results of this team because we have seen that a very similar team has had much better offensive results and that's actually what i'm really concerned about more i i, I actually don't really blame him that much for the defense because i tend to think the defense is more on the players um mm. I, my my thoughts on babcock prior to this year is that he was empowering the players to play their their kind of offensive freewheeling very destructive way because they were not good defensively and you look at coaches like barry mm -hmm. trotz and he seemed to make a concerted effort to choke offense in terms of defense and that kind of made sense for that roster because they don't have a ton of offensive game breakers the leafs have kind of gone the other way and i think they don't have a lot of good defensive players and it makes sense to say okay well we're not going to win team we're not going to win games playing tight let's play firewagon which is what the leafs did every year up until this year Right, and I really we've emphasized that so much on the podcast, but it bears being mentioned again. There is no way that you can argue that justifiably that Babcock has been stifling offense over the past few years, unless you are willing to say that that is literally entirely because of the players. That the players were getting great offense in spite of him, and he was also not helping their defense. Basically, the argument for that is Babcock is one of the worst coaches in modern NHL history because he's was utterly failing at what he was trying to do if he was trying to stifle offense and make the Leafs better defensively. We've covered that before. Now, the thing is, this year, the results have been really bad, right? And they've been, mm -hmm. there's been a huge, huge drop-off offensively, even beyond what we've seen from 
kind of the league-wide drop-off offensively. So I don't. Yeah, like it's. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know yeah. exactly where. I don't know exactly what's going wrong. If I did, I'd be a millionaire because I'd be coaching in the NHL. But mm-hmm. the results have been really bad. And then, I know I'm sorry, I'm monopolizing the discussion here, but the, the power play, he bears a ton of responsibility for the power play, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I mean, we turned that over to Paul McFarland, apparently, the assistant coach. I don't know to what degree Mike Babcock is exercising veto power over what's going on there, but the power play looks busted. It's really struggling right now on what should be and needs to be a strength for this team. Especially if this team, frankly, is going to be not dominant 5-on-5. It needs to at least be scoring on its power plays. Look, I think, you know, I've been we've been kind of tagged as defending Mike Babcock at times. I think that there has been stuff to legitimately defend him against. The 20 games here increasingly have pointed to deeper issues in a way that wasn't happening before. Before, the issue was, can this team get through the Boston Bruins in the playoffs? And we said, that's tough. There's a big luck component. They could have, but they didn't. It's difficult to get to the top tier. Now we're asking questions like, is this team going to be able to get back on track to being just good again? Yeah. And right now they're not. And that's damning. Even if we say this is a lot of stuff that has happened around Mike Babcock, at a certain point, your coach has to be able to fix things. Mm-hmm. And if this is what he turns out, the degree to which it's his fault or not in origin doesn't really matter. His inability to repair it is as damning on him as if he caused it himself. Yes, I and so, would agree. And also, like, this can't go on too much longer, I don't think. Yeah. Like, uh, it has to get better very soon or he's done. Yeah, and I, I think it would be fairly justifiable on the power play thing um regardless of whether it's mcfarland or or babcock you know babcock is mcfarland's boss it falls on him at the end of the day Mm -hmm. right and man i i despise this power play it is so stupid in concept and in execution it's been really frustrating to watch yeah, and really, we we talk a lot about how, you know, your base assumption when you're criticizing a team or a player or a coach should not be, well, this player should, or this person's just a friggin' dumbass. And yeah. watching the Leafs power play makes me question whether that's a bad assumption. <laughs> you know, like this isn't adequate. How someone can watch that power play and be like, "This is a good design." That it's just the players are not executing. That's utterly insane to me. It's so... So, the issue here are the major issues I have with the power play. One, and this has been remarked on ad infinitum. The, the, the power play zone entry strategy. Ridiculously predictable, for one. I'm surprised more teams don't jump on it, to be honest. Because that's all we do. Um, but also, there is yeah, no like- speed. <laughs> There is no by. speed. Riley yeah. like slowly ambles up, drops the puck 25 feet to a winger who is now skating onto the puck. Everyone else is going about three miles an hour. 
And then if that winger is William Nienander, yeah. we get the zone and then, you know, pray that everything works out from there. But otherwise, it's not amazing. And then when yeah. we get in the zone, I mean... the top unit plays catch between either Matthews, Marner, and Riley, or Matthews, Nienander, and Riley with Marner out. They play catch. The puck never goes below the faceoff dots. And the shots that we take are Riley passing to Nylander, who takes a one-timer, which is not phenomenal, or Riley passing to Matthews, and he takes a one-timer, which is better, but there's not enough puck movement, not enough quick puck movement to actually make that a real threat. And John Tavares and Andreas Janssen are just sitting there with their dick in their hands doing nothing. <laughs> That's how it feels. The Toronto Maple Leafs power play, sitting around with their dick in their hands. And, uh, and it's like, you know, you have one of the best net front guys in the league. Use him. Use him like you did last year. The pu- one of the things I loved about the Leafs power play of the past few years, even when um, Tavares wasn't there and they had JVR there, is that Marner had options, right? So he could, from yeah. his uh, side, from his from his right side, all and he could do all of these very disguised. He could go the cross seam to Matthews. He could aim for the high tip to Kadri, who was a left shot there. He can go in low to JVR who could either cram it in or center for Kadri or even reverse it for Matthews or Bozak on the other side. Mm-hmm. And then failing that, he could recycle to Riley or he could shoot himself. There were options there. Here, it feels like the least have two options. And it, 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 it's really silly to me. The, the shot rate on, on the power players is actually not bad. But it never feels like they're particularly dangerous. It never feels like they're actually kind of getting anywhere with what they're trying to do. And then PP2 comes on 65 seconds into the po- into the power play. And that power play is like Tyson Berry and friends. And I, this is one part where I do kind of feel bad for Tyson Berry because like, what is he supposed to do here? Yeah, turn Trevor Moore into like a 15-goal man or something. Like, there's just nothing to be done. No, it's, it's, it's just bad. And it's best he has Nylander at least, though it's like there are two guys who can sort of do stuff or whatever. But it's like... Now it's like there's no hope for that unit. Don't play that unit. Yeah, and just and like honestly, again, this is this is something like, I feel Babcock can be criticized for. <laughs> like, the minutes should yeah. be more tilted towards power play one. Yeah, like, on, Even on though, other frankly, teams manage it. Kind of it's sucked. not rocket science. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> okay. Yeah, that, that's my power play rant. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I think that was totally justified. Like, it's not good and. I think the thing that has really turned our opinions on a lot of this stuff, I mean, we, no, you've been saying this about the power play for a while, I should clarify, but just like speaking for myself in terms of like my perspective on the Leafs changing is that I expected the Leafs to be as they were, but with some variation and obviously sometimes big changes happen, but the Leafs were consistently the same sort of team with some tinkering. The Leafs do not look the same anymore, and worse, they look like a really bad team. I don't know what else to say at this point. They're not as bad as they've looked lately. If they were as bad as they looked against half of a Penguins team last night, they would be the worst team in the NHL. But it's really glaring now. Like, something is wrong here, and I am increasingly open to the idea that even though I don't think firing Mike Babcock fixes all this stuff, I think that if nothing changes pretty shortly, you have to do something. 
Like you have to start attempting solutions, even if they are imperfect or partial, you know, like you just can't have this team operating like this for an extended period because the season will get away from us. You know, you don't have to lose that many more games before this team becomes quite unlikely to make the playoffs. They're already, I think, less than 50%. By Depending on who you ask, Money Puck has them at 30. Yeah, I and I, I mean, I have my quibbles with Money Puck's model. Um, but, you know, your prior of what the Leafs were, you know, before the season has to be quite strong for you to see the Leafs as anything but a bad team this season. Yeah. Like, if they're saying, like, okay, we're going to work it out, we're going to work it out, I believe that for an extended period, they are not working it out, and there's something systemic going wrong. Yeah. If the Leafs were still generating tons and tons of chances, and they were just getting PDO'd or something, I'd say, yeah, it'll work out. It'll regress to the direction of what it was. Uh, this team is kind of busted. That's my bottom line. Mm-hmm. And and so, in giving Mike Babcock a C-, minus, I don't intend that to be a passing grade put it that way yeah yeah i would i would agree um all right well this is a cheery sunday morning (laughs) (laughs) you know if we lose another week who knows where we're gonna be at by next sunday (laughs) so yeah we're gonna have to change the the title of the podcast won't we the name of the podcast rather (laughs) i mean it was originally ironic but now we're leaning way into the irony (laughs) yeah back to despair yeah basically Uh, um, all right. I don't think we're going to have bad takes this week. Um, the bad take is everyone who believed this Leafs team was good and capable of anything in their lives. You're all suckers. <laughs> you naive children. Yeah. Including me. Yeah, including both Especially of us. In- well, including, one thing I will say, if anyone's like, oh, I saw this coming, tell them that they should be quite rich now because no one else did. Yeah. <laughs> like... You should try to find a short bet against the Leafs or something like that. Because, like, I don't think that this was foreseeable. Even if you think, okay, this team was flawed. This team has toughest issues. This team has XX and Y. I don't think it was reasonable to expect that this team would get so much worse at the things that it was good at. So, yeah, I really do think that this part was unprecedented. Even if you think they should have fired... Mike Babcock in the offseason, which is a different argument, and there are, you know, cases for and against for where they were at the time. Now it's like, okay, this is this is bad. So. Basically, every model had them as certainly a playoff team. And I think even in our, when at PVP, we did like a roundtable, like, oh, what are your predictions? And one of the questions is, what's the worst case scenario? And I'm like, worst case scenario is probably, you know, we get kind of unlucky. We don't take the steps that we want. The power play gets worse. And we finish, like, you know, 17th in the league not we're 25th in points percentage yeah like we're at the point where we're now having serious conversations about whether we're going to take advantage of the pick protection that we put on the Marlowe thing which kicks in if we pick in the top 10 this team should not be picking in the top 10 so yeah that's where we're at fun times <laughs> Very fun. All right. Um, so I think that's it for us. You can find all of mine, uh, sorry, all of mine and Fuleman's stuff at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fuleman. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.